This morning I've uh, chosen to speak on sin. I know it's a very popular topic for pastors these days to preach on sin, right? Um, Makes me a bit anxious. Uh, and, And my title of my sermon is actually The Problem with Sin. The problem with sin, and, and I'm, I'm going to ask you here in a second to finish this sentence, just call out, the problem with sin is, the problem with sin is, so let's do that. The problem with sin is what? It's everywhere. The problem with sin is, it's everywhere, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the problem with sin is, It separates us from God. The problem with sin is too well publicized. Man, we get a lot of news stories off of sin. Absolutely. The problem with sin is we're all prone to it. Now, I dressed up. Come on. (laughs) Surely I look pretty good on the outside, man. It's hard to preach a sermon on sin because, you know, this week I sinned a couple times. You don't need to hear that, do you? I look too good to leave that, right? Sin is fun, isn't it? Let's be honest. Too much so. Sin is natural, isn't it? It's one of those all-natural products we tend to get into. (laughs) Sin is destructive. Sin is scary. Uh, one of the top songs, well, before I get into that, uh, Charles Stanley passed away, so I thought it would be a good thing to at least bring a Charles Stanley quote today. <clears throat> he said, one of the greatest hindrances to the gospel's effectiveness in Christians is Christians who act one way at church and another way elsewhere. The way we live for God should permeate all areas of our life. Several years ago, an alternative rock band called Skillet produced a song called Monster. Monster uh, became number four on the U.S. Billboard uh, rock songs, uh, mainstream rock tracks. It streamed 320 million audio streams. It is one of the, throughout the world, it is one of the most streamed rock songs of all time. Monster. Let me read a few words of this song. The secret side of me I never let you see. I keep it caged, but I can't control it. So stay away from me. The beast is ugly. I feel the rage and I just can't hold it. It's scratching on the walls, in the closet, in the halls. It comes awake and I can't control it. Hiding under the bed, in my body, in my head. Why won't somebody come and save me from this? Make it end. I feel it deep within. It's just beneath the skin. I must confess that I feel like a monster. I hate what I've become. The nightmare's just begun. I must confess, I feel like a monster. 
My secret side, I keep it hid under lock and key. I keep it caged, but I can't control it. Because if I let him out, he'll tear me up, break me down. Why won't somebody come and save me from this? Make it end. I feel it deep within. It's just beneath the skin. I must confess, I feel like a monster. I hate what I've become. The nightmare's just begun. It's hiding in the dark. Its teeth are razor sharp. There's no escape for me. I want my, it wants my soul. It wants my heart. No one can hear me scream. Maybe it's just a dream. Maybe it's inside of me. Stop this monster. I feel it deep within, just beneath the skin. I must confess I feel like a monster. I've got to lose control. There's something radical. I must confess I feel like a monster. The lead singer of uh, Skillet uh, is a Christian. It is a Christian alternative rock band. Uh, They've done a number of mainstream things as well. And at that last sentence, he hints to the fact of, there is an answer. I appreciated so much the second song, Marvelous Grace. Because really the sermon is not about sin, but it's about grace. But you can't get to grace without understanding and defining sin. We can't understand grace without understanding our fall, our brokenness. If you're thinking I'm going to give you a list of sins today and tell you how bad you are, how wrong you are, well, then you're wrong. But I do need to give a definition for sin. Today I'm going to work out of 1 John chapter 5. 1 John 5, if you want to turn there. It's an interesting little scripture at the end of the book. I'm going to ask somebody to read the scripture here not too long. If somebody just wants to volunteer, I haven't asked anybody to do it. I think I'm going to start at verse 16 and go to the end of the chapter. So if somebody wants to be ready for that, um, there's a microphone up here. I'll bring it to you. You can sit in your seat. I won't even make you uncomfortable make you come up here to read it. But my definition this morning, you'll find in this uh, scripture, in some ways, I have to hearken back actually to verse 3, Uh, chapter 3 verse 4 it says everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness sin is lawlessness in this one you'll hear the words all wrongdoing is sin so who would like to read the scripture this morning by the way when I preach interrupt me if you have a question interrupt me if you want to say something Um, To me, preaching is more of a conversation sometimes, and that's what I like. So if you have something you want to ask or say, please feel free to do so. Yes, 16. uh, John 5, uh, 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God 
keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who, who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Thank you, Anthony. The reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Lord, we do come before you, Lord, before we dive into this. I thank you so much for Reuben's prayer, but Lord, I just want to also crawl upon the altar this morning as a living sacrifice. Lord, you know the words that you have given me today. Uh, you know the words that are written on these pages. But Lord, we need these words to be alive for us. We need them to be real. We need them to uh, be what we need this morning. So God, I just pray in the name of Jesus through your Holy Spirit that you would highlight, that you would be uh, alive in the words, that I would get out of the way, that my human flesh would, would fall away, and that you would allow the true spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be revealed and come through the words that are spoken this morning. Thank you again, Father, for being such a good God to us and loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. I want to start uh, backwards on this scripture. Verse 21 is a really interesting script, uh, verse. Uh, here is John, uh, almost like a grandpa. I can see him <clears throat> almost as a grandpa, an older man. He has this affection for those who, who love Jesus. He calls them dear children. Dear children, he says, keep yourself from idols. What makes us so curious is, it's so funny because I like listening to the scripture. I, I ride to work and I have an app on my phone and I listen to the app as I ride to work. And, and every time I came to the end of this book, this is the last phrase in the whole book. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. And what makes it so strange is he doesn't mention idols anywhere in this book. You can't find idols mentioned. I mean, if you were to take a theme of this book, and the reason this book is so precious to me is because the theme of this book is love. It says over and over again about love, 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 love. God commands us to love. Loving God is obeying God. Loving others is loving God. You can't love God and hate your brother. You can't love others if you don't love them in word and deed. Love must move us in compassion. The one who hates is not from God. God is love. The main theme of this book is love. And if I could just bear myself a bit, the reason I, I, I've taken this book into my soul is because I struggle with loving well. I struggle with loving. Ever since I've been a young man, I, I, I'm much more on the judgment side of things. I'd much rather get into the nitty-gritty and tell what's wrong with you. You know what I mean? Not love you through it. Let you on your own. Just tell you what's wrong and let you go. I need to learn to love. I still need to learn to love. But I find it also interesting that this book also has a theme about sin. There's like 18 verses in this little book on sin. 
Hard verses, verses I stumbled over as a kid, as a young adult, as a, a man who was developing and growing into what God wanted me to be. I struggled over verses that said, if you love God, you don't sin anymore. Anybody who sins is in the darkness. I struggle because, you know what? <laughs> I don't practice sin. Or do I? And the verse is, you know, about practicing sin. I don't know about you, but, but there's the sins that just keep coming back in my life, keep popping up. It's like whack-a-mole, you know? And I've tried all kinds of things to overcome them. And there's moments and there's times of victory. There's even months of victory. I can, can, can say there's probably been a couple months strung together with victory. Am I relating here? Does, does anybody else feel this too? Good. So I don't want to be alone in this. And here he comes at the end of this whole thing after talking about light and darkness, this struggle between the, the world and, 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 and the kingdom of God, this whole battle, and really John's writing, battling against the Gnostic faith that basically says, this is all spiritual, there's no flesh to this. And John's bringing this book in very practically and saying, if you're in Jesus Christ, you're going to live it out. You're going to walk it out. It has everything to do with our flesh. That's why he talks about sin and loving others and showing others how you love them by opening up your bowels of compassion as it says in verse 16 of chapter 3 in the King James. Showing compassion to others. That's what love does to us. Breaks us through. But why at the end does he talk about idols? I'm going to leave it for now. I want you to think about that for a while. Let's move on a bit. I think sometimes that um, we find in this dichotomy of this world, uh, even in verse uh, uh, 19 it says here, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. This is the world we live in, this world that is controlled by the evil one, according to this verse. And, and we see that there's still hope in it because verse 19 starts, and uh, or we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. A little lesson on, on grammar here, and I'm not one to give lessons on grammar, trust me, but this is something that, that I've really been working on because there's two nice little words in the English language called and, and the other one is But. But and, and but, right? So often, let's think of this verse if it said but instead of and in this verse. What if it said, we know that we are children of God, but that the whole world is under the control of the evil one? What does that say? Which is greater? Does not the but nullify the first? The and means that they're both true, but in actuality, to me, the first is the greatest truth. 
We may live in a world that's under the control of Satan, but, there's where the but fits, but we are children of God. That's the hope, that's the grace. That's what comes down through. It's so interesting to me because as, as, as John grows this battleground, there's this battle between the world and the kingdom of God in here. There's this, this battle between God's kingdom that is a rightful kingdom, but this world is still under the power of the evil one. That's why our, our sin, it's in this battleground. We often see it in, in the, the physical realm. You see, it's our sin that created this battleground because Adam and Eve, when they sinned and the world broke, that's what gave Satan the power over the world. So sin is very important that we understand the power of sin in our lives, in the lives of this world. But, but this is the battleground we see. But that's not true in Christ. He's pointing out over and over again, in Christ, that's not the truth. Jesus is king. And not only is Jesus king, in the world system, death and sin reign. Pain reigns in the system of this world. But in the kingdom of God, life reigns. Life eternal reigns. So my question is, is this where the battleground of sin is? Is our battleground of sin in here, out here where, where this dichotomy lives in our world, is that our battleground or is it inside us? Is it true what the song monster says? I, I'm sure that we've all related to it because I know that I have sat in meetings just boiling. I've even sat in church services just boiling because that's wrong, right? And I want to say it nice and pleasant and make sure that I get a nice little hearing rather than exploding. And my kids can testify at times I've exploded at home. I've shoved that monster down so often and tried to keep it under control that every once in a while it pops out, right? Is this true? Is this where the battleground is? Is that it's inside of us? Okay. The problem with this approach is that then we can't win. The problem with the song monster is we have no win. That's why he calls out for somebody to save him. If this is our view of sin, we can't win. All right, if I lost you somewhere along the way here, I'm going to give you my main point in my sermon right here, right now. Okay? I'm sure I get it right. I'm going to read it off. My thesis for this sermon Sin, sin's effect on our lives is only as great as the lies that we believe. Therefore, knowing the truth is the only way we can overcome sin in our lives. By the truth, we are made free. The words of Jesus. Sin's effect on our lives is only as great as the lies that we believe. Therefore, knowing truth is the only way we can overcome sin in our lives. By the truth, you are made free. So what is truth? What is truth? 
And I believe this is what this whole idea of idols has to play into. Just keep that, again, back on that back pot simmering for a while. But this is the idea of idols, right? There's not a stone image in this world that has power unless somebody believes in it. And somebody bows down to it. There's not a lie in this world. Satan has no power but exception in your life. There's no lie that has power in your life unless you believe it. So what is truth? There must be a standard of truth. If not, then it's not true. Truth does not need belief to make it true. Truth is provable. Truth does not have to be agreed upon. We don't have to get together and agree what truth is, my friends. However, if we do not live by truth, we suffer the consequences. However, if we live by truth, we get its rewards. Truth does not change. Truth exists. And probably we could spend the rest of the day just open discussion to talk about truth. What is truth? So let's put a little meat and potatoes on this. Is there a truth in America? Is there enough truth in America? What do I mean? Often I hear the problem with America is it doesn't know the truth. Is that true? It goes back to what you believe. And in America right now, there's this thing called relative truth. Truth is relative, right? So in some ways, that's not real truth. I'm sorry, relative truth, to my definition, does not fit the definition. So with that, we don't have truth, but in the way that there is a lot of people talking about truth today. There's your truth, there's my truth, there's our truth, there's their truth, right? And one of the highest truths in our culture is called tolerance. We need to tolerate all these truths, even if they contradict. Of course, unless they're a neo-Nazi group, then we don't want to tolerate their truth. Understandably why, right? But this is so interesting because this whole theme of tolerance, let me ask you a question. In America, are we more united around tolerance or divided because of tolerance? Pardon? What? It's done the opposite? And this actually uh, comes from a book that I'm not sure I'm going to quite say, read this, but... um, it's actually the lead singer of Skillet. And one of the things he points out is, if we have all this, this is my interpretation of what he's saying, if we have all this truth, your truth, my truth, our truth, their truth, we have to somehow come to an understanding of what higher truth is. A society. What's going to rule? What's going to lead us? What's going to be the prevalent truth of the day? We have to come together and decide that. As a matter of fact, there are uh, those who write on these things who say that's really what relative truth is. Relative truth is truth that is agreed upon by a group of people. 
That's not a purest definition of it, but what's so interesting is if that's the way we do it, then we must judge something. So what we've come down to is we've judged the station of a person's life. We've judged the circumstances in which that person goes through and the uniqueness of their thought has basically created what truth is or higher truth. It's very judgmental. Because just because of who you are, I can say, it's your truth, but it's not the highest truth. And it's literally created more division in our country that it has unification. And I find it so interesting because to me, truth is not something we discover. Truth is not something we end up mining out of, whether scriptures, other people's readings, people's experiences. It's not something we mine and polish up and refine and then store in our little knowledge bank over here. I believe what I am taught in Scripture is that truth is revealed. Truth is revealed. In our Bible study, we had a lot of discussion about this whole idea of sin in verses 16 through 17. We talked a lot about what is the sin that leads to death and the sin that doesn't lead to death. And guess what? We as a group didn't come up with a conclusion of what that really meant. It's hard scripture to really digest. I am, there's things that need to be revealed to me <laughs> because I don't get it on that scripture. But what came to me and came into this whole discussion is, is Verse 19 leads us into verse 20 where it says, we know also that the Son of God has come to give us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. The first grace I want to talk about is the grace of revelation of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and why he came to this earth. And that is, as it says in two places in this scripture, to be a propitiation for our sin. That word, if you take it back to the original meaning, is basically the word that they used in Hebrew to talk about the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, the Ark of the Covenant was set into the Holy of Holies. There was two cherubim on that lid, and between that, supposedly, is where God dwelt. God would come and visit between those two cherubim, and the bottom section, the lid, was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. This word is translated both in the New Testament as propitiation and mercy seat. So the idea here is the priest would be out here, he would take your uh, sacrifice for sin, he would slay it on the altar, he would take a portion of that blood, he would sprinkle it around the altar, he would also take a portion of that blood and take it into the Holy of Holies. 
Now, he didn't do this for each individual. He did this for the nation of Israel. He would take that blood in, and he would pour it on that mercy seat. And if that sacrifice was acceptable, God would grant forgiveness to his people. We see Hebrews. Hebrews is an elaborate book describing that whole process. But instead of the priest being a priest of Israel, it is Jesus Christ, the high priest, who comes and takes his own blood in and puts it on the mercy seat for our whatever it is. Our atonement. That's an easier word for me to say. The idea that it's an acceptable sacrifice because Jesus lived a holy life. He was willing and able to take that on for us. Okay? So the first thing we need to understand intellectually and provable in my mind, but through scriptures and through the life of Jesus Christ, that we are forgiven. Only reason I can stand before you this morning and bring the precious word of God because I'm forgiven. Only qualification. Forgiveness. It's our deepest need. But I want to dig a little deeper this morning and get a little bit more practical because not only is there grace of salvation like Pastor Eric was speaking about several weeks ago, there is a sustaining grace. There is a grace that brings about our sanctification that's our justification. There's something that comes from the inside out in us. I want to describe another scene for you. Maybe I'll ask the question first. How many of you have seen the Disney Pixar movie called Brave? Anybody see the movie Brave? Those who have kids have. <laughs> and some others. <laughs> There's a scene in Brave where uh, uh, the main character is a young girl, teenage, and she's supposed to be getting married. Uh, Merida is her name. And she doesn't want to obey her mother. She gets in an argument with her mother, and she ends up going to a witch, getting this little cake, and this cake actually turns her mother, the witch promised he'd change her, into a bear. So Queen, Queen Eleanor is now a bear. And she's being hunted by her own husband and all the other clan leaders because this bear is in the castle. Of course, she has to flee the castle, and they're out in the woods hiding out her and Merida. The scene opens as Merida wakes up, and Mama Bear, Eleanor, has prepared a table all out of bark. There's little plates out of bark. There's these little forks that are out of sticks. She has her little crown on, and she's sitting at the table with a few berries in front of her and invites her daughter to come eat. But needless to say, she has this really difficult time eating with her claws. She gets frustrated, things happen, the table spills. Finally, Merida goes to the river, kills a few fish for her. She won't eat them raw because, of course, she's a queen, she's not a bear. So she roasts them and gives them to her to eat. Well... Mama Bear's appetite is a whole lot bigger than Queen Eleanor. And Meredith gets sick. Merida gets sick of killing fish for her. So she says, you go get your own fish in the river. And she teaches her how to fish for her fish like a bear does. All she needed to do was get out of the way and the instincts of the bear kick in and she gets a fine breakfast in the river. 
When she's done, she cleans up her paws and she meanders off into the woods. Merida grabs her stuff and takes off after her. Mom, 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 mom. And when she catches up with her, mom's on all fours walking like a bear, turns around and looks at her and snarls. Not only does she snarl, she turns around and begins to approach her. And then she roars and, ah! And immediately her face begins to change because Queen Eleanor remembers who she is and this is her daughter. And she stands up like the queen again and the look in her eyes, one of pity, sorrow. She forgot who she was. My friends, I think this is a better picture of us in sin. I may look like a semi-well-dressed human being. Really, this skin is not who I am. I'm sorry your sister didn't look like herself. But this skin is not who we are. It's what I see when I relate to you, obviously. But the person I know is much deeper than this skin, right? The truth is we're made in the image of God. We've been redeemed by God. We are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We are God's children. He reminds us over and over again in this book, we are God's children. We are born of God. We are kings and queens. I'll tell you what causes me to sin. is not external influences, even though they're there. Not just because my bear wants to. Not just because it's instinctively in me as my flesh. It's because I stop believing that I'm the son of God. I stop believing that God has redeemed me. I stop believing that God loves me. That's why I sin. Get nitty gritty. I'm not going any further. <laughs> Let's get real. I pick up the phone and I call my wife. She doesn't answer. So I set my phone down and I shoot her quick tracks. Call me. 30 seconds go by. A minute goes by, no response. I wait 10, call her again. No response. Guess what's happening inside of me? Oh, my wife has six children at home, homeschooling. I'm sure she's busy. Right? No, I became angry. Doesn't she know I need to talk to her? What does she think? I know. I know what's true, and this is what my mind begins to do to me because my emotions begin to feel hurt. So my mind starts saying, hmm, she doesn't really care about you, Dennis. Hmm? She doesn't really have you as one of her priorities. Remember when you're sitting with her at home and that little phone goes, bring, bring, and it's one of her friends? Guess what she does? 
Hello? That's because they are a higher priority than you, Dennis. That's what's happening. And my emotions start growing in that. And go, yes, that's right. It's not right. I'm her husband, for goodness sake. She should care about me. She should love me enough to put me top of the list, right? Well, behind Jesus, of course. But up here, not down here, after the kids and all her friends, because that's where she shoved me. I'm not her priority. And my will begins to kick into that. My will starts saying, hmm, Dennis, you know what we're going to do? You're going to take care of yourself. It's obvious your wife doesn't care enough to help you take care of you. You have to do it yourself. And it works on down in me to the point where I become very selfish and very critical of my wife. Walk in the door. Why didn't you answer my text today? Everything all of a sudden blows out of proportion, doesn't it? That's the instincts of the bear. But that instinct is being fed by what? My mind, my will, and my emotions, which is our soul. And my soul has been transformed. I am a Christian. I am a new person. My soul has been made new, made to live forever because of Jesus Christ. It's been brought to life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am a new creation. But I forget that in those moments. Do you know what my deep problem is? There's a deep belief in me that one of these days, even though my wife promised that she would love me all my life, she's going to wake up and look at that old man laying next to her. She's going to say, what did I do? He's not the man that stood at the altar. He's not the man that I believed him to be. She's going to walk away. Oh, she's a good man and a girl, so she won't divorce me, but, but emotionally she'll just shut me off. And her friends will become more important than me. She'll share her secrets with her friends. She'll share her emotions with her friends, but not me. Do you know where that comes from? A little deeper part of me that says, you know what, Dennis? And this the devil whispered to me years ago, probably even before I could speak. You are not worthy of love. Everybody who learns to know you well enough, Dennis, is not going to like you. It's a voice I've heard through my life. That's what's going to happen with your wife. That's why I put so much stock in a phone call. 
but what does Jesus say to me? Is it how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God, children of God. God comes to me in those moments and says, Dennis, let's talk some truth here. My son is truth, and he loves you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never leave you. He'll never abandon you. It doesn't matter what you do in your bear. Later on in that movie, Meredith, Merida protects her mother from her own father, sword to sword. And she keeps yelling, you're not going to kill my mother. And it's not her mother. She's acting like a bear. But even in the midst of us acting out our sin, acting out our bareness, our flesh, God says, you're not going to take my son. You're not. That's when the truth breaks into me and says, Dennis, you are my son. I'll never leave you. Matter of fact, your wife won't either. Why? Because I live in her. I live in her. My friends, we excuse so many sins because we are afraid or we believe a truth, a lie in our lives. Very tempting to put my life, take care of myself, check out of my marriage bury myself in my work, in my hunting, in my motorcycle. My drugs, my adrenalines. So many of our sins, and I think most of them, and there's sometimes we just sin because we're, we're human. And they may not have even those deep impressions in there. But I think so many of us struggle with, what I struggle with in the practice of sin often comes down to the fact I'm believing a lie. And it may be different for you what that lie is, what God has whispered to you, or what God, excuse me, what Satan has whispered to you. Just remember, Jesus is the truth. Truth has to have a source and that is God himself and his son Jesus Christ. He stood before his disciples and he said very clearly in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. That's the grace, my friend. That's the grace that's available to us is that we are changed inside. We have no monster in us. We have no monster. We have the Spirit of God. We have Jesus Christ inside. That needs to come out. That's what changes the bear on the outside. Let's pray. God and Father, I thank you so much for your message today for me. 
oh God, I am not without hope. I thank you for that. God, so often in our lives, we get so muddled up in this world. Sometimes we even struggle with knowing what the bear is and what we are. I do. God, if there's somebody here that truly feels like a monster inside and has not really released to your spirit and allowed your spirit to come in and cleanse, to bring forgiveness, to eradicate the dark corners of our life, to eradicate those monsters in our life, Lord God, I pray that your spirit would call that you would create a space for that individual to come to your table to sit down and to dine with you, to dine on your truth and on your words. And Lord, if there's somebody here that can walk with them, I just pray that you would make that available too. You would guide that conversation. And God, for us who still struggle with knowing who we are in you, I just pray that this week you would continue to reveal truth to us through your word, through nature, through our relationship with you, through the Holy Spirit, and through others that we come into fellowship with, Lord God. May we know who you are. May we know who we are. And may we walk in that truth. Thank you, Father, for your presence in our lives. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.